I just want to confess to you that this whole lesson was just for me. <laughs> and studying was just for me. So I hope that the Lord meets you as well. But I'm just so thankful that Debbie would ask me to share, on, and Denise would ask me to share on Hannah, because I needed to spend time with Hannah this week. And I hope that um, this study has spoken to you as much as it has to me. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and give him this time. Father, we thank you for your unfailing love. Lord, you are never changing. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And on our best day with you, you're the same God that in our hardest times. And so, Father, we just thank you for who you are. You are our rock. When our heart is overwhelmed, we can go to you. And, Father, we just thank you for this time. May you please be magnified and glorified. Take over and speak to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just wait? I think I can do this. Just move this around a little bit. Um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And there's a lot of territory here, and so um, I can't possibly begin to share everything with you that I would like to, so uh, hopefully um, the Lord will just keep it right where it needs to be, and we'll hit on the points that, um, that he has for us tonight. This week's lesson on Hannah, she's a remarkable woman, and her name means favor, Hannah lived in Israel during the time of the judges, and this is in the lesson, but it was in a time when um, the Bible says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So I think that we can relate to that kind of atmosphere or or culture, can't we? That everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Um, It was godless and immoral, um, dark days. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to a man and it ends in destruction. So a lot of the behavior of that day was leading to destruction and punishment from God to Israel and a distance between God and his people. And they were um, fully involved in idol worship. The priests and the spiritual leaders of that time were not close with God, nor representing him properly. And so it was just a very dark time. And again, I think that we can relate somewhat to um, that kind of atmosphere that Hannah was living in. When we look at Hannah's life, we see a strong woman. And years ago, someone asked me, can you be a Christian woman and a strong woman? And I love that question because today the picture of a strong woman would be one that is um, combative, uh, a fighter, an entitled person, a selfish person. It's all about me. You know, I'm a strong woman because it's all about me. And that would be a kind of the picture of a today's version of a strong woman. But Hannah's strength was submitted to God. And I think the strength that is beauty is, is a woman's strength that's submitted to God. You know, God uses our strengths. He shows us our weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I love the Bible study when I found out that um, the woman from Syrophoenicia, that when Jesus was 
slow to answer her and respond to her that it was her tenacity. And I remember thinking, yay, my tenacity is okay for something because I've been called stubborn more than one time in my life. But So she was a strong woman, but her strength wasn't about herself. Her strength was submitted to God. Verses 1 through 8, um, we read... And it gives us the background of the people that are involved in Hannah's life and and the times that she was living in, the people in her home. And with people, we have problems. So my first point (laughs) is people and problems. We meet the people and we find out the problems, right? Um, I have a a friend in Florida who always said, I would love ministry if it had no people involved. So... (laughs) Um, but it's not all bad problems. It's just challenges. And, and yet in her family, we d- definitely see what she was facing. The leadership in the nation was having problems. We see Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah. And he was of the um, Levites. He was off in Ephraim. So he, they had res- certain responsibilities. We're not sure if... Elkanah took on any of those responsibilities in the priesthood, but um, the people of his tribe did. Um, And he really loved his wife. Um, But there is, there's a but. He loved his wife. He was um, a man who took his family to worship, and in that day and age, I don't think that was a common thing. I think that was a blessing to have a man that would, as a leader of a home that would take his family to Jerusalem for the worship and for the festivals that they were to go to. And so he was a godly man that we can tell, um, but, but there was another wife. Her name was Penaniah, and she was jealous of um, Hannah, And Hannah was barren. And so um, right away we see that these are the people involved in her world. This is what she's dealing with. This is a time that she's living in. And barrenness is a very difficult thing. Um, The first 10 years that I was married, I was barren. And so I know from personal experience, some of the pain involved in being barren, that there's, there's a real grief that um, you walk through. There's a period of shame and loneliness and heartbreak and emptiness that you may feel. Um, it's hard to bear for any woman, even though she was loved by her husband, um, let alone in that day and age. You see, in Deuteronomy, God told the children of Israel, if you obey my promises when you go into the land, then you will not have barrenness in your people. You will not experience barrenness. But if you don't obey me and you disobey me, then you will be cursed with barrenness. And so on top of the pain that she was already experiencing, her identity in society would have been one of a cursed woman, one that God didn't have favor on. And her name was Favor. And so there's that irony that she was walking. Her name was Favor. It's almost like Naomi saying, don't call me pleasant. Remember that in Ruth? She said, because God has dealt bitterly with me. And so she's, she's a woman who has favor in her husband's eyes, but she's dealing with this barrenness and knowing that God, it says twice in the Bible, in this story, that he was the one who closed her womb. Twice it says that. And so she was aware of the fact that God could open and close a womb. And so she had this um, burden of carrying this in her life, in her suffering. I'm sure she asked God, like many of us have, why? 
why me? Why not her? You know, why not? Why didn't? Why am I the one? Why did she get the children? Every day of her life, she was in this home. You know, some of our problems we can leave at work. Some of our problems we can leave, you know, at, at, um, in our neighborhood or, or elsewhere, or even family members that are distant. But this is a daily, daily experience for Hannah um, that that the children of Penaniah are in her home, and that, you know, those are the children of her husband, but she doesn't have any children, so this is a daily experience for her, and I'm sure she did ask the Lord why, and wonder, um, and then she had that, you know, burden of barrenness, and the pain of it, and the loneliness of it, and on top of it, she had pressure in her life from a rival, um, Penaniah, whose name means pearl, and I don't think she really was, <laughs> she just doesn't sound like a pearl, does she? That she would um, be mean to Hannah on this, such a sensitive, vulnerable place in her life. And yet, these are two women with one man, and so there's going to be a competitiveness, there's going to be a vying for attention, you know, this isn't what God had said, and what God had intended, and so there's problem, and she lives with this rival, and I looked up the word rival, and it means opponent, striving to reach something only one can possess, they both want his favor. They both want his love. They both want that place in the home. Um, and so um, they both want the affection of Elkanah. And so there was a co- competitive atmosphere. There was conflict. There was challenge. And so we may not have those same identifying factors in our life, but we probably all in this room could say in our life that there's times of conflict and challenge that we face. And Hannah had this personal pain that was intensified by being provoked from Penaniah. Um, And this was a prolonged, we read that it was year after year. And so like the songs that we were singing, there's just, Lord, you're the only answer. There's just this time of waiting. And how many of you in the room just love to wait? Oh, you had your hand up because you're putting your, your sweater on, but I know that. <laughs> um, no, no takers on waiting, right? I mean, it's against our nature and especially now our culture. And so, um, you know, the, the longer this went on, but the harder it must have been for her, um, most of us can relate to Hannah in ways that we live in a godless society. We have problems, some of us personal pain. Um, there's pressure in our life. Maybe we're being provoked at work or in, at our home or by the enemy. Um, to be provoked is to be irritated and de- deliberately make someone annoyed or angry. And so imagine this is her home. You know, most of us want our home to be a place of rest and refuge and, you know, where you can just be yourself and be loved and accepted. That's an ideal home setting. And here, her home is where she was being provoked. And um, and then it says to get a rise out of. In other words, Penaniah knew how to push her buttons. And maybe she knew how to push Penaniah's. We don't read that she did, but we do know that there was this this constant conflict and um, rivalry between them. Some of us may be in that waiting process, 
in our in a wilderness of sorts, a period in our walk with God where we're not certain uh, where He is, what is next, what we're supposed to do. Um, maybe you've had times. I, Three years ago, I would whisper a prayer, and before it was out of my mouth, I'm telling you, God was right there with the answer. It was tangible. It was real. It was in the moment. I'd say, I need to hear from you. I'd open the word, and wham, it was just right there, and the answer was there. And every, I had a friend who said, I love being in your life and having a front row seat to see God at work like this. Well, I don't think she's saying that right now, because I think I'm more in a wilderness season where I'm like, is that you, God? Am I hearing you? Will you speak to me? Can you confirm? And it's so vague right now for me. And so I went from that almost being spoon-fed, you know, and kind of now kicked out of the nest. And, and it's all still the same God with the same love and the same heart for me, but a different purpose in my life right now. And so um, for Hannah, just to know that not only was the pain ongoing, but the pain was being intensified all the time. We do know that God has a purpose. We do know that pressure produces an outcome. It will reveal what is already in us. It's like they say about the tea bag. You know, the tea bag gets into the hot water, and once it's in the hot water, what comes out was already in the tea bag. And so for us, when we're in these times of being provoked, times of pressure, times of pain, many times God is allowing us to see what is in us. That doesn't come to the surface necessarily when everything is, you know, bright and sunny and easy and and the wind is at our back and in our sails and we're just going along. That isn't always revealing our character and what it is that he may want to do in our life. And so um, pressure produces things. And in James chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, it says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. I'm finding lately when I read the Bible, these words, let, this word let, it's a little word. But he's saying, let perseverance finish its work. It's like, you know, you just want to open the oven and keep peeking in and you're not letting it finish. You know, you're not letting the the cake bake or the souffle finish. You just want to peek in. And it's the same thing they say with waffles. You're not supposed to open the waffle iron. Anyway, um, but how can you not open the waffle iron and see how it's, if it's golden brown? And so um, anyway, let has become a big word and a theme in my life where God just constantly, when I'm reading the Bible, that little tiny word, let, but when you really think about let perseverance have its way, it's a big let, it's a big word, it's a big ask. And so um, it's something that he's saying, let it do it because you're going to become mature and complete. There, there's a purpose in this. Um, Romans 5, 3 through 4 Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint. And so this is the kind of season of life that we find Hannah as we're introduced to her. Um, We do learn that Hannah and Penaniah were rivals, but not only... um, 
we see that they're rivals, and so there was that vine, but we don't see Hannah responding or reacting or attacking Penaniah. Um, I was I looked it up, and there's two main things that I saw that are responses to pressure. One of them's electricity, and one of them's diamonds. And so I just started thinking about that, that there's a lot of pressure to the point where, and I can't explain this to you for the life of me because I'm not a scientist, but for some reason a lot of pressure creates electricity. And I was thinking about the effect of electricity would be shocking and painful, right? And just like a quick strike, you know, and, and, and women can be that way and people can be that way. And so when you get to that point with another person where they're provoking you and you've just had it and your response could be electricity, but we also see that, um, pressure can produce diamonds. It's, and those are rare and those are beautiful. And so, um, and so we see in Hannah, we're not, we don't have a recording here that she reacted or responded or got into battle with Penaniah. And that's a remarkable person to bear up under that pressure and to not respond and not to react. Um, I read this quote, when we long for a life without difficulty, remember that oak trees grow strong in contrary winds and diamonds are made under pressure. We receive benefit of reading the Bible and note that women um, in the Bible that we note that are barren. And as you go through and you read each story, there's so much to each story when we read about Sarah and Abraham waiting for their child, their child of promise. And, um, you know, the father of our, our nation, the nation Israel and Rebecca and Rachel, and Manoah's wife, because we don't know her name, uh, Samson's mom, and her wait for a child, and Elizabeth waiting for John the Baptist and her barrenness. And so we see that there were these women that faced this difficult, and as I stated, you know, they were looked on as cursed women. They were, um, you know, it was a personal pain, but it was also a disgrace to their family and disgrace to their husband. You know, you were supposed to um, create a line and have a heritage and have your children take over, and there was so much to deal with in society as well. And each one of these children played such a magnificent and significant role in the Bible and in um, even building up to John the Baptist. And so God didn't... I love that when I was praying for my kids for those 10 years, and sometimes I'd see, and this is just silly, but I'd see a little girl, and she'd just be the most adorable little girl, and I'd think, oh, God, you're going to run out of adorable little girls, you know? (laughs) What what could mine possibly? And i just look on sometimes and think, you know, what would mine look like if I were ever to have children? And, And he didn't just open Hannah's womb, as we'll read, and give her a son. He gave her Samuel. And Samuel had a big, huge part in Israel, and he was a remarkable man, and he was outstanding as far as a prophet and as far as a leader in Israel. In his day and age, when everything up until then recently spiritually was dead and dark, he stood for the Lord. And so we have to know sometimes when God is, you know, the answer is no, and it's painful even 
when the answer is no, or it's scary when the answer is no, or, or it just seems unfair when the answer is no. So many times God has, we've got to pull away and see our God again to remember that he has bigger stories and bigger, you know, things going on than just what, what that moment that we're, you know, another, uh, invitation to a baby shower or another, you know, friend announces that she's pregnant or, you know, another baby is born. And, and Hannah had to walk through all of that. And yet God didn't just have a child. God had Samuel in mind, not just for Hannah. God had Samuel in mind for Israel, for God's work, for God's purposes. And so sometimes we, we need to be reminded of these things. So that's why I wanted to mention some of the other um, women that were barren in the Bible. Um, same thing with people that went through uh, barren times or, or the wilderness experience. Moses was set aside by God for 20 years to be a forgotten shepherd and away from his people before God uh, had him rise up and lead his people. David was running from Saul. And before that, he had been a shepherd, which was looked down upon and, and, and had different roles. Saul tried to kill him. And so he had some really difficult times. Sometimes we only think King David, but we forget what he had gone through as God was preparing him for the role that he would have. Paul spent three years in Arabia before he, he went out and began his ministry. And so sometimes we forget those things. You know, we, Paul, look at his life so full from the moment he accepted Christ. It just seemed that he was, you know, out there in the three missionary journeys and, and all the writing of almost the whole New Testament and everything that he did. But there were three silent years where he spent in Arabia at the feet of the Lord, learning the Lord. And so um, right now we might be in a holding pattern and it's difficult, and it's hard, and we're watching other people move by us, and, and this one's got this answer to prayer, and this one gets to go do this, and this ministry opened up to that one, and we feel when we go home, like, God, don't you see that I'm still without, and yet he may have that, you know, Samuel in your life, that, uh, you know, next step in your life that is going to be beyond what you could ever ask, think, or imagine, he sees and he knows. God has promises um, for those times that we go through. I, I looked up Deuteronomy 2.7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wanderings through this great wilderness. These 40 years in the Lord your God has been with you. You haven't lacked a thing. And so, so many times that we're focused, we're in the wilderness, we, there's something that we're wishing to have happen, that we are praying to, asking the Lord's favor upon, that sometimes we almost miss what the children of Israel were missing, and that was that they had God's presence, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud with them at all times. He was with them. He fed them. He protected them. He gave them water. He, he answered their prayers. He was with them. 
And so I think, and he had to remind them, you, by the way, and at the end, remember when he said, even your clothes and your shoes didn't wear out? And we never have recording where they one day would just, hey guys, look, our shoes and our clothes. <laughs> he had to tell them. And I'm sure that's our human nature, isn't it? Because we're so focused on the fact that we're in the wilderness that sometimes we'll, we'll miss that he is with us in that season as well. Isaiah forty three nineteen. he said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, springs in the wasteland. And I really felt like the Lord wanted one of you to have that promise tonight. Isaiah forty three nineteen. God makes all things new. God makes everything beautiful in its time. And he makes beauty from ashes. So back to Hannah. We see that two times the Bible tells us that she was provoked, especially when they went to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is the time of year where they were, you know, to go and travel with the other pilgrims and go back into Jerusalem and go to the temple and follow the the laws of the land to go and, and sacrifice and worship to the Lord. And it was a celebratory time. It was a, a time of reunion. It was a holiday atmosphere when everybody would start to greet each other along the way and you'd get to go and go spend, see the beautiful temple and, and be involved in the worship and all that, it, that this entailed. It must have been a, a marvelous time. But for Hannah, once again, it was a reminder of her lack, of her barrenness, and that um, Elkanah would give the portions of the sacrifice to Penaniah and for her children. So for Hannah, he noticed that it was her, so he'd give her double portion, which was precious from his heart. But again, it was all that reminder that, you know, that she was barren. And so going to Jerusalem to worship, there was that that attack. There was that provoking. And don't you find that even getting here tonight, some of you might have a story for one another about just trying to get here. And, you know, or just in the morning when you get up to open your word and the the Bible and you're going to read and how, or you're going to pray. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the friend you haven't heard from in 10 years calls you, or, or you remember all the things that you needed to do that day, you know, your laundry, your, you know, and all the list comes. And so hopefully, like me, you, you keep a little pad of paper on the side to write those things down. But, but the enemy, I'm sure, was trying to take away from this season, this moment of worship, this time to glorify God and, and be reminded of how big, and hear the stories on the road of what he has done and what he, who he is and all the goodness out of it. Sometimes we're so focused on our pain that we miss out. And so the enemy was, I'm sure, after Hannah to keep her away from this time of worship. And, um, and interfere with the worship and her vision of God. It's a choice that we have to make um, to keep our mind on our pain and the people that cause our pain or the problems or the pressure that we're experiencing or to allow that opportunity of worship to become a time to place our mind on God. And just take that deep breath and really when we enter into you know, our, our prayer time, when we enter into our quiet time, when we enter into church service, that we're able to really just come into the sanctuary 
and leave those things at bay and leave them behind. And so, um, and then focus on his promises and his power. Hannah, we'll see, chose to press into God. At this, this year, at this time that is recorded for us, she went into the temple to pray. Hannah took her pain to him in prayer. There was the human attack. Um, the humanity in her would want to attack Penaniah or blame Elkanah or complain to the priest. And I find it interesting that um, even though she was miserable, and her, but her husband loved her, he didn't get it. I love how honest the Bible is. I love that it doesn't say, you know, and Elkanah understood Hannah completely, and he just said, and he said all the right things, and it was a Hallmark movie. He he didn't get it. You know, he looked at her and he said, aren't I, he loved her. He wanted her pain. He wanted to fix her pain. And he said, aren't I as good to you as 10 sons? And she's like, no, you don't get it. My womb is empty. I want to hold a baby. No, you're not. You're not as good. You might be as messy as 10 sons, but you're not as good as 10 sons. And so that must have been very lonely. You know, even the man that loved her, the one place in her home where there was love for her, but he still didn't get it. And so that's a loneliness, and that loneliness is what can drive us to the heart of God. There really is nowhere else. And she walked by the priest, and forgive me if I'm stretching this, but it only came to me during worship, but I thought, she walked by religion. You know, he... Eli, it's, it's tough to say he had a walk with the Lord. We see about when you read about his sons and how they treated the sacrifice and how did they treated the people, and that Eli allowed that, you really question where his heart could have been with the Lord. And so she walked by the priest to get into the temple to pray. And I find that fascinating. Either she knew Eli's reputation and the reputation of the spiritual leaders of the day, or she just knew that the only place that she could really, really go for her heart to be poured out was to God. I'm not sure, but it's interesting, and I love that she passed by religion to get there. I love that she went by the priest to get straight to God. There's times, and and I'm guilty. I like to I'm a relational person. I like to call my friends and poor Debbie once in a while and just say, this is what's going on in my world? You know, but there's times where, I don't know about you, but you call and you call and you call and no one's answering and then finally you hear, <clears throat> and God's going, I'm here. I'm here. I'm the one that you need to bring this to. I don't want to share any of the solution or glory or answer with any other I'm your answer. And sometimes we're looking for answer and not him. And sometimes it's got to be just him. And so she went and she came in to the um, temple. Where else could she go? She couldn't go to Penaniah. She couldn't go to Elkanah and not the priest. But, you know, many, even though that's true for them, they still won't go to God because, remember, it said that God closed her womb. So some will say, well, you caused this pain, I'm not going to go to you. And they'll miss out. But she got to the place where she went in, and finally um, we realize that he is the only one to go to. Where do I go? 
Where do we go when we have bitterness of soul? That's what she said. She said she had bitterness of soul. The Bible reveals that she couldn't eat, that she was weeping, that she was grieved, that she was in anguish, that she was afflicted, and that she had a sorrowful spirit. I mean, it just sounds to the point where you're just wondering how she was functioning because she was so heartbroken. And Hannah took her complaint to the Lord. When we're under pressure, uh, we can, Israel complained to Moses. Naomi complained to her friends, but Hannah took her complaint to God. She poured out her heart and her complaint in prayer. In prayer, we can be personal with God. In prayer, we can pour out our complaint to God. You know, there's times where people just, they don't want to hear it anymore. They know. This has been a long, ongoing situation in her life. This is her life. This is what she's living. So there's people that just really kind of look at you like, you know, well, it's the same as it was last week. So she just took her complaint to God. Um, And in his presence is when we're going to be able to hear and remind, be reminded of his promise and gain perspective. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares or your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this is hard. This is by faith because Hannah knew that God had closed her womb. And so it's hard for her to think that God cared for her. It's hard for her to think that with Penaniah's um, provoking her in her most vulnerable place and her husband not understanding her and her living in the dark days that she was living in. And yet, she poured out her heart to him. When we do that, we, will, um, we know as a Christian woman, as a follower of Christ, that we belong to him. And because we belong to him, he cares. We may not feel at the moment, our emotions might not feel that he cares, but he bought us with the precious blood of his son Jesus, and so he cares. And we're reminded in his presence by his promises, um, when we read the word daily, 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 for each day, and we pray over his promises, We receive his promises in prayer, but also in prayer, he brings to our remembrance his promises, doesn't he, by his his Holy Spirit. So it's in this place um, where prayer helps us get our eyes off ourselves, our problems, and our pressure, and our eyes onto God and his power, that he is God Almighty, as she calls him later. Um, I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking about the times where I really, you know, surrender is an interesting thing. When, I, when I'm when i in a church service and we're singing, I surrender all, I don't raise my hands right away. I think about what I'm saying, and I'm going, do I surrender all? What am I not surrendering? Do I mean this? Do I want to surrender all right now? Or is it, what about that thing that I don't want to hand over right now? And so it's that exercise in worship to get to that point where I just and saying, well, help me surrender all. And then you get to that point where you just go, you know what, because of who you are, I know I can surrender all. And so that's the kind of prayer time that we see Hannah having here. She's just pouring it out to the place of surrender at the altar of the Lord. 
A time at the altar of surrender gives us an altered life. This is one of those prayer moments where it's not like, bless my spaghetti, but it's, this is, you know, snotty face, (laughs) you know, on her face prayer. This is, get it all out. I'm going to give it all over. I'm going to tell you how I feel. I'm going to make my request made known to God. And this, it's all going to, this is a moment with God. And I believe that this was an altering, life altering moment with God for Hannah. Hannah in prayer, there she's finally there. She's finally pouring it out. And what happens? She's interrupted. The priest, Eli, and what does he say? Imagine just, she's just like I said, snotty face. She's finally in the presence of God. They're having this connection, this moment. And then it's almost like your cell phone ringing or, you know, somebody coming into your world. And, and, and it's Eli. And he's saying, you know, woman, you're drunk. And she's being misunderstood in that moment. How startling. How, you know, and, and again, I just see that she had already had that surrender time because if she hadn't gotten there yet, to me, I think it would have caused a reaction. You know, all right, this is the last straw. You know, that's it. Even in the house of God, by the man of God, he's going to say, I'm drunk. That's it, God. I've tried. I came here. I tried to meet with you. I don't know. Maybe I'm revealing a little bit of how I would have reacted, but this is how I would have reacted. You know, there's just, she's under pressure. And when you're under pressure, you're ready to just quit or, or just say that's it, or this is the last try. And here she is surrendering. And then, and then here he comes and says, you know, how could you be drunk so early in the day? And she's like, I'm not drunk. I am sorrowful of spirit. And I'm pouring out my heart to God. And because she was able to respond to him that way, I believe she was already at that place with God. You know, and he thankfully hadn't got to her before. And she would explain to Eli in verses 16 and 17 and 18, I'm sorrowful of spirit. She was pouring out the abundance of her complaint to God and the, her grief to God. And here, Eli encounters a rare and precious sight. I don't know what he, that he even had this with God. He obviously was in, you know, a difficult, maybe backslidden, what would we call it? You know, he was not a God-honoring man, and he was the high priest. He was God's representative to Israel. And he, his kids, and when he was letting them get away with, he was not a godly man. And here is a woman who bypassed him and, and everything else and went into the temple and met with God and prayed to him and had that time with him. And then her response reflected it. And so imagine that moment for even Eli. When we, that's part of the bigger purpose here. We're thinking about Samuel and we're thinking about everything else that happens. But this moment also was God's opportunity to get Eli's attention. Our pain sometimes is the only time that people in our lives around us will, will notice our God. Because if we were always, everything went well for us, they wouldn't notice our God in our life. But when things are really difficult and painful and we're sorrowful as spirit, and we're at the point where we don't know if we can take it any longer, and people see our God help us through, answer our prayer, do a miracle. That's when they know our God. And here's Eli. And there's this moment carved out. 
in this festival, in all the people, in all the activity, in all that is there to maybe religiosity, to attempt to please God or please man, we don't know. But here's a woman with a sincere moment with God, almost like our little widow. In all the noise and hoopla when the disciples and Jesus were in the temple and all that was going on and all the celebration that these men were giving all this vast amount of money and where, did, where was Jesus' eyes? On the little widow who gave all she had. And she walked by at that moment for Jesus to point out to his disciples this woman that startled him with her giving. And so this is what's going on here. So Hannah in her Pain is being used by God to minister to a man that we don't know where he's at with God. A soft answer turns away wrath. And she had a soft answer at this point because she had already surrendered to God. And so in our quiet time, when we're at his feet, when we're giving him our life, our pain, our sorrow, our hopes, our dreams, our complaints— And we do that in such a way that God can turn around and use our lives to minister to others. Um, Okay, I'm almost there, Debbie. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) I usually have so much more to say than I'm given a lot of time. But really quickly, we'll just say, um, he said to her, go in peace. And I don't know if God just gave the impression to Eli to say to her, go in peace, may God grant your petition. I don't, um, I don't know that she shared that she had a petition per se. She said she had sorrowful spirit, but she didn't say, and I asked God for a son, and I told him I would give my son to him. And he said, may God grant that. So I don't know the extent of their conversation, but God may have directed Eli at this point to let Hannah know that he had heard her complaint and her petition. And then she went her way a changed woman. She ate, and her face was no longer sad. And that was after her time in the Lord's presence. She was changed before her circumstances were. And that's really when we have found that time with the Lord. Hannah, one of the things that stood out in the study to me was that Hannah entrusted herself to the Lord. To trust um, someone is to put something into someone's care or protection or give custody over to. She was saying, I'm going to give you my pain and all of this, and then if you give me a child, I'm going to entrust him to you. And she did. We read about that. Hannah followed through in trusting herself and her circumstances and her gift from God later, Samuel, to the Lord. The opposite of entrust is to hold back and hold on to, which causes bitterness. And I looked it up And it would be like my pain, my problem, my trouble, my bitterness becomes us. And it has, uh, research says, effects on our metabolism, immune system, organ function. It it affects us negatively. Anyway, I want to close with, um, we have a choice um, to let it go. I'm probably the only person I haven't seen that movie. I don't know the song, Let It Go. But there's a a worship song that says, Let It Go. Um, It is well. Um, Let it go, my soul, and trust in him. The wind and waves still know his name. It is well with my soul. Um, 
I just want to close with saying um, that praise is what we, re- we would have if we had time um, gone into First Samuel 2, that she had this beautiful session of praise before the Lord that's recorded for us. Um, but I did read this quote. If you are waiting for God to open a door, praise him in the hallway. And we see with Hannah that she was she had her experience with God and believed him before she even had the answer to her prayer. We need to be able to, by spending time with him, praise him before, during, and after our trials um, to be come not bitter but better and hopefully a diamond like Hannah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Hannah being an example to us. May we learn from her. There's so much more to her story, but may we learn to entrust all that is precious and dear in our life to you, even if that's our pain, even if it's something that we guard. Lord, may we hand that over to you to see you in our situation, to know you in our situation, to trust you with our heart and our future, and to know that you are the God that saves, that you are Hannah's God, and that you are our God, and that you are Samuel's God, and that you are not done yet. And Lord, if not all of it making sense here on earth, we know that we still have the promise of heaven. And in that place, when we see your face, all of these things will melt away, and you're really all that matters. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.